0: Everybody, welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Kerry Parker, and uh, you may have already noticed a little bit of a difference. I'm changing up the music on the show. I decided to go for something a little bit less intense, and uh, the artwork will be changing too. I'm not sure how often that will be updated. If you're using like an app like iTunes or uh, some of those other apps to get the to get the podcast, I'm not sure how long it'll take for that to change. But you may see that change, and uh, that's why. Just uh, decided to shake things up a little bit uh but doing this for we got our 100th episode coming up soon off to see if I can do something special for that um but uh so glad to have you as a listener and thank you so much for tuning in week after week and uh, if you would you know take the time to mention this to others as well I would love to spread the word and get as many more listeners as possible uh, again you know, not just because I'm, <laughs> I've am i got an ego and I want people to listen to me. Uh, the idea really is that we need, you know, this kind of herd immunity thing, right? And the more people that follow some very basic, you know, internet hygiene and some safety measures, the safer we all are. So uh, it's really to all of our benefit to to get these kind of basic things nailed down. Um, okay. So, uh, I've got a really big show this week. We've got a lot of really important news stories to cover, uh, including that big Marriott breach. We're going to get to that at the end Uh, that affected, you know, maybe nearly 500 million customers. Uh, they're still trying to figure that out. So we'll, we'll have to see what that is. But in the meantime, I can kind of tell you what we know and what you can do about it. Uh, that'll be at the end of the show. We'll also talk about uh, how your car is probably tattling on you. Uh, the question is, is who might be listening? Um, you ever get the feeling also when you're, you know, on the customer chat site, if you're doing that new, you know, a very popular new chat support thing, you go online, you ask for support, you don't get a phone number. They say, start a chat and you start talking to someone. Uh, and if you ever get the feeling that they kind of know what you're saying before you're going to say it, uh, I'll tell you why it feels so creepy and why you're not being paranoid. Uh, and finally, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, how the bad guys out there are coming up with clever new ways to steal your identity. And one of those is to, there's actually a kind of a nifty service by the U.S. Postal Service, uh, the USPS, that allows you to see uh, what mail you've got coming, what's destined for your inbox. But if you're not careful, someone else can sign up and see that too and can use that to steal some pretty important stuff. All right, starting out uh, saw a couple of interesting articles this week about basically how your vehicle, modern vehicles, which are chock full of electronics and in many cases are actually connected to the internet, even while you're driving, um, whether you realize, whether you realize it or not, uh, this is becoming, this is going to be a thing. All of our cars are going to be online, just like this whole internet of things push where we want to connect everything to the internet. It's why not connect your car? So it, it, It's already, it's already out there in some places and it's just going to be more prevalent. And, um, the other thing to realize is that your vehicle has lots of information, not just about the vehicle itself, but obviously things like your location, you know, maybe some things you don't particularly care about, like, you know, what you listen to on the car radio, but what you may not realize as well is how a lot of that information is tied to even more, important information, financial information. So uh, I saw two articles. One was about uh, Ford, and this caused a big stir. There's an article in Threat post about this. Let me, let me just read a little bit from the article. Ford Motor Company is known for making cars and trucks, but the future for the iconic automaker might look a little more like Facebook than an assembly line. As the struggles with hemorrhaging earnings in markets outside of North America, industry watchers are speculating that Ford is looking to a new source of income the data it collects from its 100 million users. Sure, connected cars are a reality. Infotainment systems and mobile apps are deep repositories of lifestyle information for many carmakers, Ford included. But Ford's CEO recently suggested that the data collected by the company's financial services arm also represents a valuable low-overhead asset. Quote, We have 100 million people in vehicles today that are sitting in Ford Blue Oval vehicles, said Ford CEO Jim Hackett during a Freakonomics radio podcast. Continuing to quote, The issue in the vehicle, C, is we already know and have data on our customers. By the way, we protect this securely. They trust us. We know what people make. How do we know that? It's because they borrow money from us. And when you ask somebody what they make, we know where they work, you know. We We know if they're married. We know how long they've lived in their house because these are all on the credit applications. We've never been challenged on how we use that. And that's the leverage we got here with this data, unquote. So he may have walked this back. I think there was one of his uh, PR people that kind of walked that statement back saying, we're not selling this data. Of course, they didn't say that they wouldn't sell that data. Um, But the, the thing to really realize here is that this is the Ford CEO may have said this, but this is probably true of most car companies. So you're not just buying the car. Many times when you're leasing that vehicle or you're financing that vehicle, you often do it through the dealer. They have all sorts of incentives and pe- and programs that incentivize you to use their financing, and that's actually where these companies make a lot of money. Um, they're in the sen- they're in the business of lending money. So now you've tied those two things together. So you've you've bought the car. They know who owns this vehicle, and they have all your credit application information. So if you read through the fine print and Lord knows there's plenty of that. I'm sure somewhere in there, they're mentioned something about we may share this data with partners, we may do blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of boilerplate, vague legalese language that all these contracts have that basically say we can can do whatever we want with this data, and you're allowing us to do that by signing this document. So even though, again, while it's the Ford CEO that said this, and maybe it's controversial that he said it. You could, you should just assume that this is true. Really, of any any contract you sign, anything you buy, um, and certainly anything where you have to click accept or whatever. Somewhere buried in that is the fact that if we're we're collecting data, and if this thing's connected to the internet, we're probably gonna store this data off and do something with it. Uh, and we don't have to tell you what, because, um, and that's really the problem. Uh, but let me, let me go to the second article on this before I kind of do, a, you know, more of a privacy summary on this. And this other article has to do with the Chinese government, uh, ask, asking for and receiving telemetry data, which is location and all sorts of other information from your vehicle, uh, be reported to the Chinese government. And you might think, well, why would they do that? Well, uh, let me read you this, a little bit of an article from the, um, the Associated Press. And by the way, there, is, there there are some Chinese names in this, and I'm probably going to butcher them. I apologize, but I'll do my best. Okay, from the article, it says, When Sean Zhenhua bought his white Tesla Model X, he knew it was a fast, beautiful car. What he didn't know is that Tesla constantly sends information about the precise location of his car to the Chinese government. Tesla is not alone. China has called upon all electric vehicle manufacturers in China to make the same kind of reports, potentially adding to the rich kit of surveillance tools available to the Chinese government as President Xi Jinping steps up the use of technology to track Chinese citizens. More than 200 manufacturers, including Tesla, Volkswagen, BMW, Daimler, Ford, General Motors, Nissan, Mitsubishi, and others, transmit position information and dozens of other data points to government-backed monitoring centers, the Associated Press has found. Generally, it happens without the car owner's knowledge. The automakers say that they are merely complying with local laws, which apply only to alternative energy vehicles. Chinese officials say the data is used for analytics, to improve public safety, facilitate industrial development and infrastructure planning, and to prevent fraud in subsidy programs. But other countries that are major markets for electronic vehicles, the United States, Japan, and across Europe, do not collect this kind of real-time data. And critics say the information collected in China is beyond what is needed to meet the country's stated goals. It could be used not only to undermine foreign car makers' competitive position, but also for for surveillance, particularly in China where, uh, where there are few protections on personal privacy. Under the leadership of Xi Jinping, China has unleashed a war on dissent, marshalling big data and artificial intelligence to create a more perfect kind of policing, capable of predicting and eliminating perceived threats to the stability of the ruling Communist Party. There is also concern about the precedence these rules set for sharing data from next-generation connected cars, which may soon transmit even more personal information. Quote, you're learning a lot about people's day-to-day activities, and that becomes part of what I call ubiquitous surveillance, where pretty much everything that you do is being recorded and saved and potentially can be used in order to affect your life and your freedom, says Michael Chertoff, who served as Secretary of U.S. Department of Homeland Security under President George W. Bush, and recently wrote a book called Exploding Data. Chertoff said global automakers should be asking themselves tough questions. Quote, if what you're doing is giving a government of a more authoritarian country the tools to have mass surveillance, I think then companies have to ask themselves, is this really something we want to do in terms of our corporate values, even if it means otherwise foregoing that market, unquote. So again, cars are part of the internet of things. Cars have a ton of data. Um, most of it's just internal car data, which you know doesn't have a lot of value as far as privacy goes. But there's also plenty of data, you know, how you drive, you know, how quickly you drive, uh, do speed, uh, where, you know, where do you go, your location at any any even point. Um, You know, maybe sillier things like what you listen to on the radio or what kind of things you do with the, the, you know, the car's entertainment system. You know, but any any and all of those things are, are fair game and can be stored and potentially saved off and sent somewhere else for analysis. And like the earlier article, the other thing to realize is at least in the United States, and I'm sure this is probably prevalent in other places too, where you buy your vehicle, that information, your car and your identity is tied not just to your vehicle and where you go, but to your financial history, basically, because when you apply for credit, you give them all sorts of access to your information. And they've got all your demographics. They know what you make, they know, you know, where you've lived for a long, you know, for the past, I don't know, however far back your credit report goes. Uh, they've got access to all that information and now they can tie it together. So they've got a deeply personal profile on you. Now, <laughs> again, Ford is, I'm sure, not the only one doing this. They just kind of got the hot seat for saying so. This data, like all this data, as we've talked about many times in this show, is very valuable. It's very useful information. If you actually, using this data for good, you could do a lot of great things. You could you could find out where the where congestion is. You could find out where older cars are that might be doing more polluting. Uh, you could certainly use it for infrastructure and, and, uh, climate stuff. Uh, it, I, it has all sorts of great uses, but the problem is the privacy aspect. And until we can really get a good handle on that, we're going to have problems and we should really consider how much of this data we collect and certainly transmit and save. Uh, obviously first thing we need, as I've said many times is we need complete transparency, these companies need to be completely forthright about what data they collect who they share it with, how long they store it, uh, and what they're doing with it and who they're giving it to. Um, th- those are at the bare minimum. We need that because if we can't, if we don't have that kind of information, we, the market can't function, you know, people can't decide, you know, well, Ford's going to share all my data, but Tesla's not, or vice versa, whatever, pick your two companies, um, you know, company A versus company B If company A. A's car is blatantly telling me that they're going to monetize my data, but company B is not, well, then I can make an informed decision that I, if I care about that, and of course <laughs> I'm biased, I think you should, uh, you know, but if you do care about that, then you can make an informed choice. Uh, right now, the problem is we don't have informed choices. The other problem is this data is completely loose. I mean, once it gets out there, there's, you know, it's a wild, wild west. We're not tracking it. We have no idea where this data goes. I mean, you know, companies have certain arrangements, but if I, if I collect the data and I share it with one of my marketing partners, how do I know who they share it with? Um, there's also this notion of we want to de-identify data, uh, which is sort of like anonymizing data. But, you know, you want to strip off the part of that information that might let somebody know who that person is. And by the way, location just knowing your location is enough to identify people in many ways. Um, if you can give me just four data points uh, on location on somebody, homework, um, school they drop their kids off at, that kind of thing. If you can give me just a few key data points, I can very often identify who you are. So we got to be very careful about, about what data we let loose and how we al- allow certain data sets to be correlated. Um, anyway, getting on a big soapbox. But the point is, this is just another example of... Where we, where this data is being collected, and, it, and it's we're not, we're not keeping our eye on the ball, and and because companies are really, their fiduciary responsibility is to increase their profits, um, and to do that, they want to monetize everything they got they can get their hands on, so it's not in their best interest to control what they're doing. And unfortunately, that means that we're going to need some sort of probably government regulations on this. But at least if we had transparency, at least the market could work. At least then people would be able to make choices as well. Let's back off the soapbox and move on to our next topic. Now, have you ever done that chat service with customer service? You go, you know, you want to report a problem. And today, of course, it's too expensive to talk to to an individual person, even if that person is halfway around the globe. Uh, so they, they, they're doing these kind of web chat services now, uh, which is fine. Actually, I don't mind that at all. Actually, sometimes I find it easier to, to, to chat with somebody than to, to talk to somebody. So I've noticed this and I wonder if you've noticed this too. And then, then I read read this article, Uh, I was actually chatting with somebody and I noticed that they, you know, while I was starting to type and said something, they were starting to immediately type in return and what they said immediately after I hit send basically meant that they had to have seen what I was typing before I hit send. And I thought that was creepy. And I actually, at the time, I asked that person, can you see what I'm typing before I hit send? And they told me they could. Um, And then I read this article. Let Let me read this article from Lifehacker. In the latest or really most recently unearthed instance of internet being creepier than most users realized, it has come to our attention that the text box you use to communicate with customer service reps at most websites doesn't work the way you expect it to. In short, it would seem that a lot of companies that let you live chat with customer service reps all utilize a service that allows said reps to see everything you type into the text box, whether or not you press send we or i always assumed that like when you t- we text someone or use facebook messenger the rep would see the traditional word bubble with ellipsis in it but no chances are they've seen every change you've made as you compose fix typos and possibly strategize on how to best convey your problem and get support yeah so <laughs> that's creepy uh, i don't i don't even know why they would do this i guess maybe it makes their you know, the session more efficient. If they can watch you type as you type it, that just gives them a little bit more heads up on how to answer your question quicker. Uh, I don't know, but it's certainly creepy. And, uh, it's something, you know, that you just need to be aware of. So when you're on these chat sites and you're working with customer support, if you start typing something, say, Ooh, no, I don't want to tell him that (laughs) realize that they may have already seen it. Um, and it's too, and it's too late. So what do you do about this? Um, If you're really paranoid about this, then all you really can do is like, you know, start typing your responses in some other sort of a text editor, some other window where you can type your text and when, when you're actually ready and you've done your edits and you fixed your typos and, you know, and you've, you know, deleted the thing that you realized you probably shouldn't tell them, copy and paste that into the window and then hit send. I know it's a total pain in the butt. The other thing you need to realize is that this works for forms as well. Uh, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but when you go to fill out a form, let's say you go to some website and you want to sign up for some sort actually you don't want to sign up for anything. You go to some website because you want to get some information and it's like, okay, well to get this information, you've got to fill out this form. And like, okay, fine. So you start filling out the form, you click, you click the, the enter button and it takes you to another form. They ask you more info and you're starting to go, okay, you know, I, I don't want to send all this information in. Uh, so I just got to quit and I leave the website and without ever hitting send or ever hitting submit. Uh, obviously on the first page, when I said you click next, you know, that's kind of a submit thing, but on the next, you know, if you're filling out a form and you're starting to get through the form and realize, Hey, this is kind of too personal information. And you realize, Oh, this is required. and I don't want to give the f- information and you quit without hitting send. There are many websites out there that are still saving off that information and transmitting it up to their servers before you hit send before you hit submit. So it's possible that they are collecting that data anyway. Now, honestly, I think web browsers or web standards or both need to address this. Um, I don't know how, because under the covers, it's just code, it's software, it's JavaScript. Um, if they're writing this code, they can have that, these form pages sending information without you hitting submit. Uh, you know, So I don't know how we come up with some way to block that or notify users that this is happening, but that's creepy. And that's, that's just weird. Um, you know, there should be a final commit stage where, you know, until I hit send, you don't see anything, but that's not the way things are working. So anyway, my point here is that just be aware of this, uh, that this is possible and it's becoming more prevalent. All right. Next up the United States postal service. Uh, first of all, they announced a big breach and I'm not going to get too much into that because it's kind of highly technical and they've already fixed it. And, uh, I think if, if there's anything that comes out of that part of it, um, we'll, we'll probably be notified. Uh, but the story I do want to talk about uh, relative to the Postal Service is they've got this service uh, called Informed Delivery, and the way this thing and the way this works is you can go to the you can go to the USPS website and sign up for this service, and they ask you some questions that supposedly only you would know the answers to. Uh, to sign up for this service or to sign in for, uh, I think, a postal service account at all. Uh, but the cool thing you can do with this service, and I, I I do think it's cool, is you can actually get a sneak peek at the mail that's destined for your mailbox. Um, basically, every every piece of mail that comes into their system that has your address on it and your name is scanned, a little black and white photo of that letter or package or whatever it is, Including junk mail, by the way, um, is they take pictures of this and they post them online. Uh, and if you sign up for this service, you can go and look at these things. So why would you want to do that? Well, you know, maybe you're expecting a check from somebody and you want to see if it's going to come in the mail today, or you know, maybe you're expecting a special package from somebody that's going through the postal service, and you you know maybe you bought something on Etsy or eBay or something, and you want to you know kind of see if it's if it's to your mailbox. The other thing you might want to use it for is if you were expecting something and did not get it you know, maybe you could go back and look, Hey, do, you know, did this come to my mailbox? And maybe, you know, cause maybe the guy, even though it was scanned and, and destined for me, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe the mailman or mail person put it in someone else's mailbox by mistake. That happens to me all the time. For some reason, I get my neighbor's mail constantly, and I'm always having to re-deliver mail, you know, look and see what they're like. Why am I getting, Oh, it's not to me. And then I have to go next door and put it in his mailbox. And hopefully he's doing the same for me if he's getting my mail. Uh, but anyway, so it, it's kind of a cool service and it, you know, gives you a heads up and, you know, I think you can go back about a week uh, to see what had been delivered and then what is on the way to being delivered. Now, the bad guys have found a way to exploit this system to perform identity theft and uh, actually just regular old theft. So um, let me read a little bit from this article from Lifehacker, which in turn quotes an article from Krebs on security, which I've mentioned before. Great site. OK, so uh, the article says, On November 6th, the Secret Service reportedly sent an internal alert to its law enforcement partners warning them of a scam where criminals would sign up for other people's mailboxes and then steal credit cards from those people's mailboxes. According to the report, seven people in Michigan used the service to apply for fraudulent credit cards and then steal those cards out of the recipient's mailboxes. The mailbox owners never knew the cards were even applied for, much less stolen. In that case... The defendants were able to run up nearly four hundred thousand dollars in charges on stolen cards. So, it basically works like this: these guys—they must be local or have somebody local to your mailbox because they've got to—they've got to have access to your mailbox, and your mailbox has got to be the kind that just opens. It's not one of those apartment things with a lock on it or something like that. It's got to be one of the residential ones where it's just a an open door that anybody can open. Uh, so they. If I was a criminal, I would pick people local to me, you know, find their name and address, sign them up for this account. And the, when you sign up for these accounts, they use what's called uh, knowledge-based authentication, which basically looks at your credit report or something like that to find like you know what previous streets you lived on and things like that. Supposedly, things that only you know the answers to. But of course, as I've said many times on the show, you know, just poking around on sites like Zillow and mylife.com and Facebook and other things will give the answers to a lot of these questions. So they, they, they sign up for an account in your name. So now they can look and see everything that's going to go to your mailbox. And then they go and sign you up for credit cards and have them sent to your, to your home. And then they intercept that mail before you ever see it. So if, you know, if you work nine to five and your mail's delivered midday, uh, all they got to do is show up at your house before you get home, go through your mail and pull out that credit card. And now they have it. And of course, you know, you get other things through the mail too. Maybe you're getting packages and things like that. If they see something go by and looks kind of like it might be nice to have, uh, Amazon or, uh, eBay or whatever it's coming from, then they can just go steal that too. And you'll never be the wiser. It just won't be there when you go to check your, when you go to check your mailbox. So what do you do about this? Well, first of all, the postal service, because actually Krebs on security, Brian Krebs, um, complained to them about this service. They started uh, sending out notifications to your mail when anybody in your household signs up for this service. So you can see the problem there. I mean, that's nice. They get notified, but if, if someone's doing this on your behalf, uh, maliciously, they're going to know when that notification hits your mailbox and they can steal it before you ever see it. So that doesn't, you know, doesn't really help. Uh, the other thing too, apparently, is they do ask these knowledge-based questions, um, but these, since a lot of these questions are based on credit report, uh, supposedly if you freeze your credit, that may uh, block access to signing up for this account as well. Unfortunately, there's been some reports that that hasn't worked, always worked, so uh, your, your, your mileage may vary there. But the real way to uh, to prevent this is basically to sign up before they do. Uh, and you'll want to do this for everybody in your household, at least everyone who's not a minor uh who could be receiving mail at that address. So you go sign up for a US Postal Service account and you go to the you know, sign up for informed delivery uh and make sure you sign up for each name uh in, uh each named person in your household. And then you know, even if you never use the service, at least that will prevent uh the bad guys from signing up in your behalf and uh having access to that without your knowledge. All right, and that brings us to our big story of the week, and that will lead us to our tip of the week. And that is the big Marriott breach. I'm sure this has been all over the news. Uh, They're saying that up to 500 million customers may have been affected. Uh, This goes back almost four years that apparently this data has been unprotected. Um, But we're still kind of in the early days here, so I think they're still basically trying to figure out what happened, what got stolen, et cetera. Uh, Let me read a little bit from this article from Naked Security. Marriott has today revealed that its Starwood guest reservation database has been subject to unauthorized access since 2014. The scope of the data breach is huge, covering nearly five years and approximately 500 million guests. The company warns that if you made a reservation at one of its Starwood brands in the last five years, then you are at risk. According to Marriott, its Starwood hotel brands include Starwood branded timeshare properties. W Hotels, St. Regis, Sheraton Hotels and Resorts, Weston Hotels and Resorts, Element Hotels, Aloft Hotels, The Luxury Collection, Tribute Portfolio, Le Meridienne Hotels and Resorts, Four Points by Sheraton, and Design Hotels. It seems a different guest may be subject to different levels of exposure according to how much data they shared. Until you have successfully confirmed your level of exposure with Marriott, you should assume the worst. Information put at risk by the breach includes... Some combination of name, mailing address, phone number, email address, passport number, Starwood preferred guest, account information, date of birth, gender, arrival and departure information, reservation date, communication preferences, payment card numbers, and payment card expiration dates. Although payment card numbers were encrypted, thieves may have stolen the information required to decrypt them. All right. So again, this is, we're kind of in early days on this. It sounds like what happened here is somebody figured out that something some part of their database was unprotected for a long period of time. And what that means is that data was at risk of being stolen. Was it stolen? I don't think they know yet. And they may never completely know. Uh, It sounds like what they are doing is kind of, they're still in the process of reviewing what happened, trying to figure out exactly what was stolen if they can. Uh, And they're, they're starting to notify people of this as well. Um, And that leads to our tip of the week, and that is what on earth do you do about this? So if you were sometime in the last five years staying at one of those many properties that I just mentioned, you may be affected by this or you should uh, consider yourself to be at risk. So they have created an official website, and it's called info.starwoodhotels.com. That's starwoodhotels.com dot info.starwoodhotels.com. And that's the official place to go for information on this. They're updating it constantly. There's a little FAQ or frequently asked questions section at the bottom that keeps getting expanded and probably updated. Uh, and there's lots of good general information there. So, uh, do note that at least currently, like when I went to this website, it, automatically redirects to a different website called Com. That's K R O L L. And I have no idea what that is, but that's okay. Don't worry about that. You know, maybe eventually they'll keep it at that domain. I don't know. But when you go to Com, it'll redirect to Com. Now, the other thing on this website that's important is there's a, a, a local call center. So I think it's only for the U S UK and Canada currently, Um, But if you there's a little link there where you could find out uh, the call center information at that point, you can actually call in and talk to, uh, I would hope, a human to get more information there if you want. Now, the other thing is, whenever there's a big breach like this, whenever there's a big scandal of this, beware of people, bad guys capitalizing on the paranoia around this. So there's already email scams going out about this breach that are false. (laughs) I know it's, it's hard, right? So that's why I'm giving this information. Uh, The main place you want to go is info.starwoodhotels.com. But some of these emails, um, if you, there will be probably an official email from Marriott. And according to them, this is how you will be able to recognize that it's from them. Uh, It will be coming out from the, from the address, starwoodhotels at email-marriott.com. So if you're getting an email from someplace besides that, assume it's a scam. Uh, also this email will not ask you for anything, nor will it have any attachments. And really the only thing this email is going to do is give you the link that I just gave you, which is info.starwoodhotels.com. Uh, nevertheless, even if you get one that matches all that, I still wouldn't click the link. I would just go there manually yourself because you know, when the bad guys know that that's what the letter is supposed to look like, they're going to make their scams look just like that, but that link will take you somewhere else. (laughs) So you may get that email, but. Even if you get the one that you think is official, basically just ignore it. Where you want to go is that website I just told you about. Uh, They will apparently offer, and maybe this will come through the the website or maybe that email, they're going to offer a service called Web Watcher for free for a year. Um, I'd never actually heard of this service before, uh, so I can't really say whether it's good or not, but it will be free for a year uh i don't see why you wouldn't want to do it uh necessarily um just make sure that you're really signing up for that service and again you know i wouldn't trust anything other than that one website i gave you uh this service you know apparently searches the dark web for your information will somehow let you know if it's being trafficked um though i would just assume that you know if you're part of this breach that information is out there uh also, apparently you shouldn't just Google web watcher because the bad guys are already coming up with a lot of fake websites around web watcher. Again, you can see the theme here when, when you know, when there's really big data breaches like this, when there's big security incidents like this, that, that are splashed all over the news, the bad guys immediately swoop in uh, with scams. Um, so just, just beware. Uh, another thing you might want to do um, is change if you've got a Starwood guest account online, uh, change your password. And obviously, if you've used that password anywhere else, change those places as well. And while you're doing that, make sure you make them all unique instead of making them all the same. And to do that, of course, you'll want a password manager like LastPass so you don't have to remember them. Um, the usual things also apply. Monitor your credit reports uh, and you know, and your other financial accounts, certainly your credit cards and your bank accounts, anything that might be attached to that account. You can freeze your credit Because if this information is used in identity theft, it might not just be related to what information that Marriott had. It may be used to try to open up, you know, other credit in your name. So if you freeze your credit, that will uh, hopefully stop that. Uh, Other general recommendations for these kind of things, also sign up for two-factor authentication everywhere you can. I know it's a pain, uh, but it is a great security step, uh, making it just that much harder for someone to access your accounts. And finally, um, there is identitytheft.gov um with got it's got some great info. It's actually got a little questionnaire. So not just this case, but in any case, if you think you might be um might be a victim of identity theft, you can go to that website and it'll kinda of walk you through some basic questions and then give you some information uh about what you should do. So it seems like I'm talking about breaches all the time, and that's because I am. <laughs> they're they're happening constantly. So, you know, I hate to say it, but that's kinda of the world we're living in now. So be careful with whom you share your information. Don't give out any more information than is absolutely necessary. Don't sign up for accounts just for the heck of it. Um, if you're signing up for an account that doesn't really matter, feel free to lie, you know, give them the wrong name, give them a the wrong address, give me the a wrong birthday, whatever. You know, if they're just, you know, trying to get you to sign up so they can send you emails and stuff, you'll probably have to give them a valid email address. Um, but all the rest of it can be junk. It doesn't matter. Um, freeze your credit reports, you know, unless you're somebody that's constantly applying for loans or buying houses or buying cars. Um, even if, even if you're just doing those on like regular people would, I would still just freeze your credit and learn to get in the habit of thawing your credit report just long enough for that uh, transaction to go through. Um, it's free now everywhere. So, um, I I've done it. I've frozen all three of my credit reports and I would recommend you do the same. Two-factor authentication is going to be the 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 other thing that we should all be doing too, which I already mentioned. So you know, use strong, unique passwords everywhere. Use a password manager to manage all the data, so you don't have to. And then use two-factor authentication. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. Boy, we had a lot of big info this week. So um, since that affects a lot of people, if you know if you have some travelers in your lives, you might want to you know forward them to that, forward them to this episode, let them learn about the Marriott stuff. Um, Also, with the holidays coming up, it's gift-giving season, and I've published my annual Best and Worst Gifts guide. You can find it on FirewallsDon'tStopDragons.com. And I'm also lining up some really great interviews coming up, uh, some really interesting topics, so stay tuned for those. And, of course, if you're thinking about giving somebody a computer or a mobile device for Christmas or maybe for yourself... The book Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons has got over 150 tips and 400 pages with step-by-step instructions to help you protect your security and privacy on all those devices. Makes a great stocking stuffer and great accompaniment for those tech gifts. So that's it for this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Uh, Until next week, stay safe and don't get caught with your drawbridge now.